Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella, Agent Investor Podcast. I've got a special guest on today, Jazz out of Toronto. Hey, what's going on, my man? I'm good, Tom, man. Thanks so much for having me. Um, as a fellow content creator, I know how hard it is to get guests on, make sure technology is working, then start editing and distributing all the videos and the podcasts, <laughs> audio platforms and all that. And so kudos to you, man, especially in a time that we're all in right now at the time of this recording anyways. Um it's 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 there's a lot of negativity out there so we need more people like yourself putting out positivity and that beautiful smile obviously your listeners can't <laughs> see it uh, but your viewers are blessed by it as well cool uh so yeah we were talking a little bit before you jumped on um you know about you know agents being investors and you were like hey hold on stop you there because i got a lot to share and uh, we're kind of going into some of the meat of the conversation so yeah i was talking about um how i got started as an agent then became an investor, kind of realized the power of the two of them together. And you were saying you've got a team of 40. So um, wind back the clock a little bit, like what, what got you interested in real estate? What, when did you get started and, and all that good stuff? Yeah. So I, I, right now, as you mentioned, I manage a team of actually 56 in total, 47, 45 real estate agents, and then the rest are support staff um, that really truly are the giants in our organization. Um, but for me, sales, Tom, I mean, it's been in my blood I don't think I stopped ever since I, like asking milk for mommy, you know, like I just, I never stopped great. Then being at four or five years of age, I was the first, I was the kid to put up the, the hand and help the teacher with the bake sale and the book sale and all that kind of stuff. And, and my first job um, uh, actually being paid in sales was a newspaper route. A lot of us started there, but I kept going. I worked in footwear, not the Al Bundy kind of footwear I'm talking about. Um, I'm helping marathon and sprinters. And so knowing product, like I needed to be really good with product knowledge, got into the banking industry for a couple of years and then went into car sales. At that time I started, I was probably, you know, I'm 39 now. So I was about 18, 19 years old in car sales, making good money for an 18, 19 year old who lived with his parents. I also watched my parents rent out their basement apartment, every single home that they lived in, rented out the basement apartment. My father, his whole life was a taxi driver. My mother, her whole life was a factory worker. And so there's three, three sons. I'm the youngest of three sons. And not that we had everything, but we also didn't grow up with nothing. Right. And, and the way that they offset a lot of the expenses was by renting out, renting out their basement apartment. They never really expanded from that but I had a couple of family members um, and friends that I saw own properties and rent them out and yeah. just hearing stories I was like you know what this car sales thing had definitely has a ceiling as I watched my uh, colleagues be in the business for 20, 25 plus years. They hit kind of a ceiling in terms of income. I started to think uh, maybe I'll start learning about investing into real estate. Signed up for the course. 
I'm thinking I'm going to learn how to invest in real estate. It's yep. all about, it's all about how you don't to make sure you don't get sued as a salesperson and yeah. all kind of start to fit together in, thir- in a 30 day period. I sell four cars to real estate agents, amazing people still, uh, still speak to them till this day, but two of them, like English was like their third language for any of your viewers and listeners outside of my city of Toronto. I mean, Toronto is, is like one of the most multicultural cities in North America. Uh, yeah. Very, very comparable to like a Manhattan, for example. Um, it's almost like we, we call it baby Manhattan. And, uh, you know, English is their second language. And I'm like, wow, I'm looking at their credit applications as they're buying this car. I'm like, man, they're making like some really good money. I could speak English pretty well. Um, I'm born and raised here. I like this real estate thing. That's what made me really get my license in combination of wanting to learn how to invest. Um, and at that time, I joined uh, a small little boutique brokerage, then became partner uh, within about three, four years. And and that partner of mine passed away. We brought on a second partner. Uh, so currently myself and my business partner now, uh, we have this organization of 57 people. Um, and, and along the way, I made sure that I picked up as many properties as I possibly can. Uh, you and I were talking about it off here. You mentioned it. And that's when I kind of was just uh, nodding my head and saying, let's get started with this podcast because I, I I you were preaching to the choir like true wealth in my opinion um, specifically for real estate agents is not made by the commissions that you get in real estate that's great to pay off you know to help pay you off some expenses of yours and living expenses but true wealth is created by investing into real estate yeah it's interesting because you know like I I can't you're you're bringing up something that I kind of forgot about about my childhood which is that my parents, um, they had a two family and they had a basement unit. So growing up, um, my parents did not make a lot of money at all. They, they, they made very little. Um, but it's interesting because we were able to live in a decent area. And now I'm thinking back to it. I, cause I always talk about like when I got interested in real estate investing, and now I'm thinking about this, even going back even a little further for me, like we always had tenants. We had tenants in the basement. We had tenants on the, the top floor and we were always in the middle. And um, I don't think my parents really ever thought about themselves as investors in any capacity, but at the same time, you know, fast forward 30 years, they've got a, you know, a, a house, a, a two family with the basement in a nice area that's worth close to a million dollars now paid off. And they probably wouldn't have been able to even afford owning if it wasn't for those two other tenants. So it's interesting that you kind of had a little bit of a similar story there. You got into car sales and then what age were you that you actually got into to real estate sales? I got licensed when I was 23 years of age. So okay. I've been, I'm at it for 16 years now. Cool. So when you were first getting in, you know, you talked about being interested in investing. Um, what were you doing on the sales side in the beginning years? Like what type of uh, deals were you working on? Did you get off to a fast start or a slow start? Like what were your first couple of years in sales like? Yeah. So uh, a, a slow start to answer your question. Um, I, I, the first year I probably did about eight transactions. Um, and then the second year I remember doing probably close to 18 to 20. Uh, so a little over, over double, but that's after the second year at the like 
finished the second year, I knew that I could last in this business because I always had that 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 salesmanship in me, right? Um, what I come to realize in real estate that was different than any other industry uh, that I that I was uh, that I was ever a part of was that you needed to have more patience as a yeah. salesperson, right? Yeah. Because in car sales specifically, your window is like an hour. You, <laughs> yep. you know what I mean? Um, and then maybe, maybe uh, uh, three, four days later where, where you're hoping that the customer will come back. Right. Yeah. Um, in fact, in car sales, the term is uh, a be back, meaning that they that that's what they said when they left the dealership. I'll be back. And, and, and then we determine that during the week where in real estate, you better have some patience because uh, uh, a relationship or a sales the sales process might take six months. Right. And then if you're pushy in the front end. If you're pushy in the front end, you might lose this relationship. And 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 so what I train my team and, and any salesperson right now is actually to remove the friction, focus in on ways that you can remove the friction in that selling process, in that process of them doing business with you, where you don't even need to be a good salesperson. Just make it easy for people to buy and 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 don't get in. Don't get in their way. Don't get in your own way by trying to manipulate and handle objections. I get all that old, old sales training stuff and it's good. But at the end of the day, people are not hockey pucks, you know, like you can't stick handle them. And yes, you might have some scripts that work well, but the problem is the other person doesn't have that script. And so when you add emotions to the process, you got to be someone, in my opinion, anyways, um, to, to educate, lead with education, and then allow the client to make a, a quality informed decision. And look, that all that you know, and, and obviously um, getting lucky along the way um, and then producing a massive amount of content starting three years ago to the tune of 20 to 23 pieces a day now on all the platforms. Um, I'm proud to say my, my, my team's up to a little over 700 transactions a year for the past three years, year over year. Um, and I don't tell people to impress people by any means, Tom. I'm, I'm really wanting to impress upon where the data's coming from and, and to give people more context. And out of that 700, I mean, I, I, I'm able to do the two, I, I'm able to do 200 out of that 700 right from this desk in a t-shirt in a hoodie because i decided that's how i'm going to design my business yeah so i mean that's that's freedom right being able to do what you want when you want and i i love it so um so you got off i mean you didn't get off to that slow of a start i mean some people struggle much more than that and you were you were very young too which is another kind of obstacle i'm sure you had to kind of overcome so you know, you were, you got into the business, whatever, 23, 24, by a couple few years later, you kind of knew you were going to make it in real estate. You knew it was a career for you. What point along that trajectory did you start to think, okay, I'm ready to invest in real estate. And like, what was your first kind of investing deal? Like, yeah. So I, I mean, obviously we all have said this and you and I would be probably multi, multi billionaires if we got a 
a dime for every time we, we, we heard the term I wish I had, right? Um, but I definitely should have bought the first day I got into the business. Um, yeah. But I didn't. I, I got in um, year four um, is when I bought my first property. And so once I started to realize that um, I'm going to be in this business, I feel comfortable that I can do enough transactions to just pay the bills and then wait for the business to get built. And that's when I'll start to make more profit. But I, I started to then look at um, income properties and investment properties. I'm a very, very lazy investor. And what I mean by that is, is, is A, I'm lazy in the sense of I don't want to do too many things hands on. Um, more, more because I'm, uh, that's just not my expertise. I, I stay in my lane. You see a bunch of shelves behind me here. Uh, my VP, Laura Stewart, had to put this all, all this stuff up. I mean, everybody knows you do not want to put a hammer in Jazz's hands. It's not my skill set. And so the route that I decided to take was more from a new build slash pre-construction type of investment because here in Toronto, and I'm sure it's quite similar, like kind of all over North America with, with, with some, some different, some slight differences, but here in Toronto, you have to put down 20%. It's the guidelines, uh, the lending guidelines and lending requirements. But when you do a new build, you get a three-year period from when you buy something, if it's a high-rise, to when it actually gets built. You get a three-year period to put that 20% down in installments. So it was a no-brainer for me because I also didn't have, at that time, average price point was probably about $400,000. Call it, yeah, about $400,000. I didn't have the $80,000 to pay down all at once to yep. buy a resale property. So I went down the route of this of this uh, strategy, which we call new build investing, which allowed me to put down that 80,000 plus close of cost, call it $100,000 over three years. And it just fit because it also was a forced savings plan for me. It didn't allow me to buy dumb shit. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I, I never- so, what it, so how does it work? So this is, this is different. The, okay. The US does not have that plan. So this is kind of interesting because like, you know, new construction here, it's like the builder builds it, the buyer gets whatever financing they're going to get after it's built. Uh, so, so what you're talking about is, is definitely at least different than the U.S., which is interesting, very interesting. So what do they do along the way? Like you call it for savings. Are you like, are you paying in every month for the down payment? Yeah, exactly. So let's call it 20% on, 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 on 400,000 at that time, that's $80,000. That 80,000, because it's a, a, a high rise, 18, 15 floors and above. Okay. Some of our towers go right up to 37, 47 towers, uh, 47 stories. Right. Okay. So what that allows for is that you need time to build it. The builder needs time and it's going to take them three to three and a half years. It's why they don't need all your down payment. In fact, no title gets transferred until it's actually gets built. Mm -hmm. And so that $80,000, what they need is 10%. They just needed 40,000 in, in, in the first year. The reason being, because once they get their, their 40,000, their 10%, they're now gonna get their construction financing from their financier. From the from from the from the from the the the, the lender that's gonna give them the money to construct this building, to build this this structure. As long as you they get to that 10%, they're gonna qualify for the construction financing, they're gonna to start to break down ground and build. So now I'm into it as the investor for forty thousand dollars. Year two, I'm gonna put down twenty thousand. 
Year three, when it gets built, I'm going to put down my final 20000 to get me to the $80,000. Now, I'm not getting any rental income from that as an investor, obviously, because nothing is built. But what's happened, especially if it's 300, 200 units in the building, the builder forces the appreciation by by the allocation of these units. So if it's a 200 unit building, they're gonna allocate anywhere from 25 to 30 units. That's the gold platinum. That's the, like that is the, 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 the allocation that you as an investor wanna buy in. Because mm-hmm. the second allocation of 25, 30 units, the price has just gone up by $25,000. Mm-hmm. The third one, another 35 to $40,000. So here's how you make, here's your return on your investment. Remember I said that I only had to give the 40,000 in year one. In year one, the builders also forced the appreciation just for easy math by 20,000, let's call it. It's more than that, but let's just say it's 20,000. I made a 50% return on my money. I gave 40,000, right? And so that's how the money gets made in, in new build. It gets built and then I rent, I, I, I take possession. That's when I get the mortgage. That's the other huge benefit with this strategy is that I don't have to get a mortgage when I purchase it. I got to get a mortgage when I close on it. Allows me to be flexible. When I was speaking about for savings, I, the reason I mentioned that is because I know in year two, I had to put that 20,000, which, which, which was always on my mind. So mm-hmm. when I thought about, oh, let's go on a, an extra vacation, I was like, wait, I got to put that 20 G's down underneath my pillow first then we can go on vacation, right? So that's why I made it more of a forced savings plan. Yeah, no, very interesting. And I think like every time we have a, you know, a guest on, I think the thing that's so interesting about it is, yeah, there are definitely commonalities amongst like different ways that people invest, but you always learn something different, different way to do it, different market. Every market has different like niches where you can kind of like make money. And I think that's a really interesting one. So, so that was like, that was your first deal, right? That was my first deal that, that, that was an investment property just slightly before that I brought my own principal residence, uh, but that it was my first income property. I got hooked on that strategy. I mean, I have moved on to others that we can definitely talk about, uh, but I, I, I fell in love with that strategy because you know what, it, it allowed me to focus in on what I like to do, which is, which is really build relationships and, and sell real estate for clients, help them at that time. Anyways, working with first time home buyers and smart sizers, people are moving into bigger homes and smaller homes and all that stuff. But I didn't have to be hands-on with, with, with uh, 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 fixing or adding value to a property via a basement apartment or adding a story, which is all great. I hope predominantly my business now, like my core business is with investors. And so I love that aspect of it just for, I'm not, I'm not cut out for that part. Well, again, I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make that they think, okay, I've got to do this type of investing. And it's an objection really like that I hear from agents all the time. Like I don't want to do contracting work or I don't know how to do it or like all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, you figured out a really simple way to do it. It made sense for you. It allowed you to focus on growing your real estate business while investing at the same time. And the strategy worked. So why would you change it? So you kept doing that. And then um, was there any, like over the years, you just kept accumulating properties like that? Yeah. So so um, over the next from that period over the next three years, um, I probably, I did about two more of those. Um, and then I always wanted to, there's one, there's one type of property that always, um, 
got my juices flowing for lack of a better term, which was a multiplex. I always wanted to own something in the downtown core of Toronto um, because I know what's happened to values, right? I mean, we're very, very blessed here in the in what we call the greater Toronto area, which is about a, a 50 mile radius of 6.6 million people. Um, and what's happened in the last hundred years here is every decade values have doubled on average. We just went through a spurt of in the last three years, uh, last decade, we've seen about a three and a half X. Um, and so I know what happens specifically in the downtown core, same thing where you're from, really and right across the world. If you look at the downtown urban areas, we know what's going to happen with values. That's where people want to live. And it was a multiplex that I wanted because of economy of scale. Um, and so I picked up an eight plex um, along the way, which is actually uh, six years ago now. Um, so this would have been year 10 into my into my uh, uh, career. Um, I picked up this multiplex eightplex for slightly under uh, $2 million. It's now worth a little over 4.7 million. We've rented it out. We've refinanced it. I say we because to do that and to get involved into that, it did. I did do it as a joint venture with six other people. Yep. Um, and so, you know, to, to, to your point earlier, Tom, about excuses, I mean, I hear it all the time, not only from uh, agents, but I also hear from clients and vice versa. I got to put down $120,000. I don't have $120,000. And then they move on. Yep. I mean, <laughs> doesn't say a lot, right? It's just like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Nobody's Nobody said you needed to have $120,000 by yourself. Do you have $60,000? Great. Now we need to get another $60,000. You could find one other person or you could find 10 people with 6,000 or six people with 10,000 or or two people with $30,000 each. Like there's a lot of ways to look at it, right? And so if you're listening and watching right now, I guess what I'm really wanting to articulate if you want to invest in real estate, get rid of the excuses because there's really none. I mean, people before you have done it, all you need to do now is not reinvent the wheel and, and understand that success leaves clues and you just got to follow them. Let's take a quick break from the episode to get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors. Join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, I love it. I mean, you know, you you hit on the biggest, one of the biggest objections, which is like, I don't want to renovate homes. But really, the, the biggest one is the one you just mentioned, like, I don't have the money. Um, and that's one I hear all the time. And there's so many different ways to creatively finance and, you know, partnering with people is one. There's so many other ones as well. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the big thing that I always talk about is like, you don't have to invest in a million properties. But, you know, if you talk about that one that you just talked about, you know, one purchase over what, a couple million dollars worth of equity over the time that, that you've owned it, maybe one and a half, two million dollars of, of equity in a brief period of time. And not every deal is going to be like that, right? Like, you know, you, you bought it at a great time, but, you know, you bought the right type of property, you held, um, it's all leased out. How are the like uh, the rent to price ratios there? Like, like would you cash flow on that property right now? No, not right now. So if you're picking that up for four point seven million right now, that aplex, you're not gonna you're not gonna cash flow. You're gonna be in a negative cash flow with your twenty. I mean, an aplex here, the lending requirements are gonna be closer to twenty five percent down. So even with twenty five percent down, you won't cash flow. Um, so you're gonna be negative about. 
about four to five hundred bucks a month um, on that property. Um, okay, but you were but you were positive cash flow. Oh, you? definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because our rents go up. Pre-COVID, our rents were going up 11% year over year. See, we have a massive, massive uh, uh, shortage of homes here. We, get, we have uh, a little over 150,000 people coming into our city year after year. For that 150,000, we need 50,000 households. And on the best year ever on record, we've done 37,000. We're, yeah. we're on an island here, right? South of us, we have Lake Ontario. Um, we haven't figured out what Dubai's figured out and build on, to build on water yet. So you can't build there. The north part of our city, we have this legislation that came into effect 16 years ago, to be exact, it's called the Greenbelt legislation is to preserve the land for, for agriculture. Um, and, and, and so builders, you come to our city and you go to the northern part, it's like, wow, you guys have all this land here. Yes, but we can't develop on it. And so because of that, you don't see subdivisions going out of subdivisions of homes and townhomes. You see a lot of cranes in the sky. In fact, we're number two in North America. Uh, I apologize. Number one in North America, number two in the world to only Singapore right now with the amount of cranes in the sky. It's why we do a lot of condos here um, is because we can't build outwards. We can only build upwards. And so because of that, because of that, we see what happens with values and specifically rents. Rents are definitely going up. So we were cash flowing. I was talking more about the fact that if you purchase that property yep. right now, um, you wouldn't be cash flowing. Um, you'd be negative around that four to $500 a month. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And then even just talking about like the difference in locations and really knowing like where you're investing and you know why you're investing there. And it's, you've got to be a student of the area that you're investing in because everywhere is different. Like what you just told me, is, is again, very unique to where you're geographically sitting. So if you know that you've got those demographic trends of people coming in, and you also know at the same time that it's impossible for them to keep up with the amount of units that they need to add, you're in a pretty good appreciation position there. And um, I'm in a market, Boston, where um, you know at pretty much everything that's within 30 minutes of where I sit has been built. And the zoning regulations here, it's pretty tough to get, you know, approved to build anything else within my area. So it's got kind of a similar thing going on. But what's happening in my area is that Boston itself is kind of expanding and people are going further and further from the city. Um, so it's like everywhere is just different. Um, and you've got a definitely an interesting kind of, you know, location there. And then you've obviously got different lending than us. Uh, we, we've got much different kind of lending uh, situations. But um, so you you continue to accumulate the, um, the single families. You bought this eightplex. Um, and then if you kind of stuck to like the single families and units like that, or are you are you doing anything else now or plans to do anything else on the investing side? Yeah, so we did pick up um, a, a piece of uh, raw land on the east part of the greater Toronto area in an area called Durham. Um, again, knowing that zoning regulations were changing. So when I was just listening to you, you speak about really understanding what's happening in the geographical area that you're in. It's so important because we we came to understand that a certain 
pocket in this on the east part of our city um, is going to be changing their zoning regulations and allow for high rises. We happen to have um, uh, uh, an opportunity where we could pick up a, a piece of land. We couldn't build on it. So I don't advise a lot of people to do this because you've got to be able to stomach no rent coming in and covering the costs of, of uh, 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 just keeping the land and the carrying costs. Um, but now we have offers on that land, which we purchased about five years ago, uh, exactly five years ago. Um, and, and so now we're, we have offers on that from developers because they actually want to build on it. Um, but other than that, I just kept on going down the, the new build condo route uh, because it allowed me um, to really start to focus and hone in on building out my, my real estate business. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about that. Like, obviously, your real estate business itself has grown. How have you been able to kind of do both at the same time, you know, grow the rental portfolio and invest and and build a, you know, a pretty significant sized team and doing, you know, close to 800 deals a year, or maybe you said over 800 a year. No, so we're a little over 700 to be exact. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but it, it, just scaling through people, Tom, I mean, I get that question a lot with podcasts that I do. Um, and just just in general, um, from the agent community, and I and, and I tell them the same answer, which is, I decided that every single dollar of mine after my two little kids, my wife um, and I were fed, it's all going back into the business. And the I'm going I'm to stop you there because I think this is something that people don't understand. You know, people think, okay, you, you know, you're making all this money and you're spending it or you're, you're doing something extravagant with it, or you're putting it in the bank and not sitting on it. You're investing back in your business, every penny that you basically have. And that's something that I did like for years and years and years until I was like, okay, now I've got enough money coming in that I can't even invest more back into my business. I can't keep up, but, but so you're, you're doing that can, still like still pumping like money back into growth. Every dollar. Every, every dollar, dollar man. Yeah. Every dollar. Now, not that there's anything wrong with uh, uh, the fancy uh, watches no. and cars and all that kind of stuff. I'm not here to tell anybody um, how to how to live, and I just don't judge people. That's not who I am. Um, but I was never into that stuff for a very long time. And what I mean by that is that I like nice cars. I used to work in the car business, as I mentioned, right? So I know cars I, and I did luxury, like I did the luxury market. Um, I had this little stint with watches. I thought I was going to collect some watches and stuff like that, right? Uh, because my ex-boss, he had like, I don't know, 15, 17 Rolexes and they're all Bretlings, all that kind of stuff. And the values did go up. It was it was more of a, a collector's item, right? Uh, but me, I just, I came, I came to realize none of that stuff really mattered to me because the novelty wore off so quickly for me. Like every new car I got, it was quicker for me to stop caring about. You know, where for three years, I was like, I love this car. The next car was two years. Now, now I'm down to like, you know, no exaggeration. I'm down to three months. Three months later, I'm bored the heck out of my cars. Like, I, now I'm just at that point. Um, and so I was laughing with my team a couple of uh, weeks ago. I was like, I think I'm just going to get Ubered in because I don't go anywhere. I don't show properties. My team does that. And so I was like, I'm just going to get Ubered in. I could do a lot of work and then Ubered back home. I haven't got there yet, but I'm, I'm close to it. But so to answer your question, Tom, I mean, every dollar over and above my family needing it. And if I need to put a little bit of money to the side to, for my next down payment for, for, for a new build or something, it goes right back into my business through people. 
Like I now, when someone says to me, let's go, um, like, let's look at a new car or something. It's if it's a hundred thousand dollars, that's automatically two to three people to me. I think in people now. Right. And so whatever I'm about to spend, it all comes down yeah. to how many more people, because I know how much I can get done. Yeah. I, I also know that I need them. I need people because I suck at 97% of things yep. like for real or, you know what I mean? So I'm only really honing in on my 3% uh, uh, of, of, of skill set that I've acquired or, and, or mastered. And I'm very humble about it. Like, I think I've mastered the art of sales. I'd be an idiot if I didn't pick up on some patterns over 26 years of doing it. You know what I mean? So this is not me trying to boast or flex by any means. It more comes from the perspective of, I just know what I'm not good at. And so I delegate it. Like, so, well, one, one thing you said that, that really stuck out to me, I was going to stop you, but then I, you know, I let you keep going was um, you have like 40 something agents. And like, I think you said like 20 something supports this 20, was it? 20? No, 11, 11 support staff, 11, 11 support, staff. support staff. That's yeah. a lot of support staff for that amount of people. So you, you obviously you're, you're not just leveraging yourself out. You've got to be leveraging your team out too. Oh, a thousand, thousand percent. I mean, I haven't touched the computer. Most, most brokerages that have like 200 people don't have 11, 11 support yeah. staff. So you know what I did? I took my whole team and my whole organization under another brokerage. Yep. You know what I mean? So, so this way I can pay them 10 cents on the dollar for all their, all their, uh, uh, all the logistics and all the infrastructure. I pay them the 10 cents on the dollar and I don't need to worry about the front the phones being answered at the front desk. I don't need to worry about the lights. They need to focus on all that. When there's a leak here somewhere, I don't worry about any of that stuff. It's taken care of for me. Going back to leveraging like, and, 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 and scaling with people, I haven't touched a computer in four years. The whole organization, everything that I do, all the content I do, I do it all from a phone. One phone, why? Because I just have somebody else emailing everything out like I can't you you've been dealing with Carolina now for the last uh, couple of days like she does it all without her I'm not going to be able to get a lot done but I also have like a VP um, and and then and then a creative director on my media squad but then they all get paid well and they get paid very fairly and, and I don't mean that as a joke like I pay them too much by any means but they get paid what they should get paid because they deserve it right they allow me to be on the on, on, on doing a podcast with you the 40 seven uh, agents are very self-sufficient they're out and about um, but we 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 try to support support them as much as we possibly can with business so for example um, uh, about five six years ago I decided I'm only going to work with investors myself and because those investors don't need to see properties if they're buying like a new build it's all bought from a blueprint so I could do that from this desk right here that's all I'm able to do with all everything I'm able to get done yeah, they don't, they don't want, they don't need FaceTime. They don't, they don't need, I don't, you know, don't want to waste their time talking, you know, other than getting a deal done, right? They're like, give me the numbers, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Does the numbers make sense, Chaz? Yeah, why do you like it? Done. Okay, we want to move forward. But when, when a client wants to sell their home or, 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 or a client wants to buy a home, then they just work with one of our agents. Um, and that's what they're there for and, 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 and to service our clients in that sense, service their own clients. Um, and we got a, a, a pretty cool um, deal set with each other, with ourselves and the agents. And, and that's why that, I believe, is chugging along. But we're very, like, I'm very, very big on culture. I probably spend about 40% of my day just checking in on my team. Like, I know that support staff, 
the ones that are with me on a day-to-day -day basis, that 11, I know from the second they walk into this office how their evening was. And I know, and sometimes I just let it go for the first hour because they need to work it out themselves. But if it lasts for two, three, four hours, I'm going to go for a walk with them. And I don't mean like I'm going to spend all day with them and, 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 and try to baby them through it. But I know that, hey, maybe the next coffee that I get, we're going to go walk together and get that coffee because that seven minute conversation I might get to find out a lot and it might be like, shit, something's going on at home. Well, if something's going on at home, the chances of you being productive here is going to be very low. Let's go, what, what, go deal with that. Go home. You need to go home for two days. It's okay. Yes, we run a pretty successful organization and we're busy. That doesn't mean that, that, that we can't put stuff on hold for a little bit because when I really need it, they're there. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to anybody who's listening, who does manage a team, you got to get to a place, in my opinion, where you come to realize that you can't have the mindset of, of, of your staff working for you. You almost got to flip it on its own head and you work for them. I love it. Um, so now you said that you work exclusively with investors. And I've, I've heard a lot of people, a lot of people come to this podcast and they they work with investors and investors are definitely a different breed of people. Um, how do you attract, how do you attract the investor clients in all content? So I do 20 to 23 pieces of content a day. On I, I do 30 or 35 a day. Damn it. Tom, <laughs> damn it. Are you one upping me right now, Tom? <laughs> I, do, I, do like, I do like one piece of content a week and this is it. So, okay. So, so <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. yes, you do the one a week, but then, you know, you, you can repurpose the crap out of this. To oh do yeah. No, no, it's I'm only messing with you. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. I know. Um, so yeah, I just do a lot of content, man. And I, I, I educate people on, on investing into real estate, really the, not the get rich quick scheme stuff. I mean, each to their own and you build your own models the way that everybody wants to. But for me, it's the boring, watching paint dry, uh, uh, watching grass grow kind of strategy of buying and holding and refinancing. Um, and I just talk about that at nausea with uh, 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 my database, my clients. I've been cultivating and nurturing uh, a client list of little over, I look over to my whiteboard right now, 9,480 people for the last 16 years um i wrote a book on how to uh how to buy sell and invest there's no cost for this it's absolutely free any of your uh listeners can have it again um, i don't sell anything i give everything away for free and whoever wants to do business with me uh can choose to do business with me and whoever doesn't like the good looking indian guy who waves his hands they can each to their own as i mentioned <laughs> yeah yeah no, I love it. And I think what you just showed is something that, you know, a lot of people don't do, which is figure out what their niche is and then really service it. Right. So you create a book, you're creating crazy amounts of content. I mean, literally, I've never heard anybody, maybe outside of like Gary V doing more content, whether you're doing it consciously or not, you're attracting the people that you want to work with and then you're helping them and you're making money that way. And then, like you said, you're, you're, you still have this team that you're helping leverage out. You're obviously creating retail opportunities, which you're getting paid on those as well, but it's not taking up your time. So you're leveraging yourself out. And, and at the same time, investing in real estate. So it's like kind of the best really of all worlds. Um, you know, one of the best kind of strategies I've heard. So I, I love it. I love Buddy, it. You, um, you, you, you really put that in a bowl because that's exactly 
what I'm up to, um, where when you started talking about the fact that, that, that I kind of found my niche and just started servicing them, all I speak about around here, around to my team is we don't need any more width. We just need to focus in on depth. Keep yep. on servicing our clients, white glove service. I started uh, a division in my real estate company, and this is for any of your agents who are listening that, and I would implore them to start it, and it doesn't take a lot, um, and it really doesn't cost you anything, um, is, a, is, is I branded what's called a real estate concierge service. So, so any of my clients, any of those 9,480 people at no cost can send us an email and need a plumber across the country. And our job is to go find them a plumber. Now, why would I do that? I tell my clients, let me peel back the curtains because they're asked, like, why do you do this? You're not getting paid. Well, because you're calling me. Well, and when you call me, at one point I have an opportunity to ask you if you have an appetite for an investment opportunity. And you're gonna say yes or no. You say no, no problem. I'm gonna follow up. And if you say yes, great, we just did some business and I got paid. Like I, I, I peel back the curtains in all of my business development. My clients know that now, like they know. In fact, I get 50 projects at my desk every single year now, Tom, from builders that want me to push their, pro their inventory. I only pick six to eight. And those six to eight times I get on a live webinar every other Saturday, every other Saturday, I do a live webinar for my clients on Facebook, but out of those 26, six of them, I tell my clients today, your checkbooks are not safe. I am going to sell you something. <laughs> I love it. And they do exactly what you just did. They all laugh and say, okay, this guy has something today. And every other day, every other webinar, I'm doing a webinar this Saturday. Uh, who are we doing a webinar with? Uh, we're doing the webinar with our accountant, our real estate accountant. Yeah, and we're just going to educate. He's going to tell do do his talk. Two weeks ago, I did one with um, my broker, uh, not mortgage broker, like the, the 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 owner of the 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 real estate company. And this guy's he's been entrenched him and his family in investing in real estate for sixty years. And so we just told him to come on and tell his story. But yep. in Two and a half weeks, two weeks, sorry, two brunch, two Saturdays from now, I'm going to say that at the start of the brunch. Today, guys, I have a developer on and we're going to sell you and I'm going to get very obnoxious today because <laughs> I'm going to tell you where to, which website to go to to get the information. Yeah, and that's it. And they just keep going. And, and, and that's how I've done it, man. Yeah. No, I love it. What I mean, what's the best piece of advice you could give to an agent? who's like knows they should invest in real estate, who plans to invest in real estate in some way, but just hasn't done it yet. There's a sign right above my head right now uh, that the viewers can't see. There's one sign that they see, it says podcast, but above that, it says ready, fire, aim. Yep. We, we, we all grew up think being taught, look before you leave or ready, aim, fire. When you're investing in real estate in any bit or any getting into entrepreneurship or business, my macro thesis is start pulling the trigger as much as you can and then adjust along the way. In yep. investing in real estate, it's actually very easy to do because everyone expects you to have some type of due diligence clause in an offer anyways. Yep. And so start pulling the trigger on a bunch of deals, start working your way through that. That doesn't mean acting quickly doesn't mean acting stupidly. Yep. Acting quickly means that you're going to start to take action faster and then do and then do your due diligence later on the numbers. Because, Tom, you and I know the amount of times we've heard people say, let me just think about I'm going to work my numbers on that deal. And it's gone by the time they've decided to go ahead. When in real estate, as I mentioned, it's so easy. 
damn, make it due diligent, make it do uh, 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 conditional on your lawyer's approval, Tom's approval, Laura's, anybody's approval, and yeah. just get it signed and then do your numbers. Yeah, I, I think what you just said is really kind of the biggest issue for people is just that you're brought up to have that super, super cautious nature and that kind of like that negatively impacts you in, in this space a little bit. So um, awesome. Well, um, I really, I really appreciate you jumping on today. Uh, tons of energy. I love it. Uh, definitely one of the most energetic guests I've got on, which is great. Usually we have nerds like myself, just kind of, you know, we're doing all the computer work. You're out there. Get out of here, buddy. Get out of here. <laughs> it, it was, uh, you made this very, very easy. I mean, obviously your viewers and listeners know how good you are at this. Um, it was a pleasure to be hosted by you. Um, I'm always down to do this. I'm going to have my team reach out to you as well. Um, and, and, and let's do a little flipperoo and get back you get on my podcast because i want to hear more of your story sounds good well jaz i appreciate you coming on it was a pleasure and uh guys we'll be back again next week with another special guest at the agent investor podcast thanks for listening to agent investor and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on itunes every time you share the show you are potentially changing someone's life to get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.